Fall camp is underway. It's been a very long offseason for Michigan State football fans coming off a disappointing 2022 season. But with a new training camp comes new hope. What can we expect from the 2023 Spartans? We'll start breaking them down by position on episode 115 of MLive Spartan Confidential Podcast. Brandon Champion and Matt Wenzel with you on Tuesday, August 8th, 2023. Hope everyone is doing well out there. Uh, Matt, hope you're doing well. Uh, anything going on in the world of college sports right now? No, it's been really quiet uh, off season here. <laughs> quiet start to uh, August. Yeah, a nice little lead up into the, the, the regular season. Nothing to talk about off the field. Nothing to uh, get into that might distract from the coming college football season. No, I kid, I kid. Obviously, realignment is all over the news right now. Quite frankly, I don't love talking about it because I find it quite depressing. But, you know, we probably wouldn't be doing our job if we didn't at least mention that Washington and Oregon are now joining the Big Ten along with UCLA and USC, making the Big Ten the Big 18 now, I guess. Uh, the Big Ten in name only, that's for sure. But, Matt, we have officially entered the wild new world of college football. Uh, we've had realignment before, but uh, not quite like this. Yeah, I mean, everybody could see where this was going for years. You knew the direction was headed. You know, these these mega conferences. Um, the speed at which last week's news, well, last week's events t- um, happened, that, that was a little surprising. Um, I mean, it happened so quickly. I mean, the Pac-12 obviously is disintegrating, um, but the speed at which the Big Ten swooped in and, and took Oregon and Washington, um, yeah, it's a it's a weird new world. Um, obviously, money is the, the the cause of all this. I don't know what to think. I mean, I think you all always thought this was the destination for for uh, Washington and Oregon. They'd end up in the Big Big Ten because. You know, the Big Ten vetted them last time around, but I don't particularly like it, I guess, for the nature of college sports. I, I'm trying not to be the old guy who's going to talk about, you know, the way things used to be. But I, I don't know how the killing the Pac-12 helps is a good thing for college sports. I don't know that the big that adding Washington to Oregon is a good thing for for Big Ten athletes. I mean, I, you can argue obviously football and basketball, but I don't. I just, it, I don't know how that works for all the other sports. It's just, I, I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, Washington, Oregon, obviously good uh, universities have some some very good uh, athletic programs, but the whole thing's just kind of, I don't know, a little a little unsettling. I won't be as diplomatic about it, Matt. I despise this. I hate it so much. And if that's me being the the crotchety old guy, I guess that's what I am now. But pretty much anyone in the media that I've heard talk about this, Matt, has said the same thing. Like, this isn't good for college sports. It might be good for the bottom line. It might be good for the suits and the tall buildings. It might be good for money. But it's pretty clear to me that the people making these decisions do not care one lick about the people who are most invested in that this. And that's the fans. Because none of this improves the fan experience, in my opinion. You put 18 teams in the Big Ten. Yeah, you might make some more money as schools. You know what else you're going to do? You're going to take a lot more losses as all these teams. Like, winning an 18-team conference, bringing home some hardware, was already very hard in the Big Ten. It just got that much harder for these teams. You know, like, I don't think the people who are making the financial decisions think about the sort of experience 
or they don't care maybe that about the experience that fans are going to have to deal with. I mean, fans want to see their teams win games. They want to see them compete for championships. They want to see them go to bowl games. Like they don't care about ratings and they don't care about money. And it's just, I think what's going to happen here in these next few years with these 18 team super conferences where only one team is going to come out on top each year. Yeah, sure. Much more might make the playoff. I just think it's going to start beating fan bases down. They're going to lose more. They're never going to have shots at titles. Uh, and it's just, it's just going to end up snowballing to the point where some fans lose interest or they just do not care anymore because it's watering down your product. It's, it's not good for the athletes. You mentioned the, the, the Olympic sports, the non-revenue sports, that's going to be a circus. I mean, Rutgers in Oregon having to play in softball, what are they going to meet in Iowa city or something like the logistics of that is a whole nother story. But if you're just talking from a straight football standpoint, I hate this, Matt. I, I don't like anything about it. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, 24, 2024, 25 schedule, uh, is gonna, <laughs> how many, how many big 10 schedules have with the COVID year? I would, we go through three schedules that year and then they make this big deal this summer and they put out the, the new flex plus model or whatever the hell they called it. And then, oh, okay. Yeah. N- never mind. We'll just- and I, I think we mentioned that on that pod, that this scheduled conversation that we're having right now might be irrelevant in two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's irrelevant. I, like the whole thing it's... is just <laughs> one. I don't know for those who, uh, who didn't see when Oregon's uh, when they had their board of trustees meeting on, on Friday evening, the president of their board of trustees was on the damn golf course. <laughs> the camera cuts out. He's like climbing out of the bunker. He's like, hey. What was the, uh, I don't remember if it was uh, administrator at Washington or Oregon that said the most appealing part of the media rights package that, that was presented to the PAC 12 uh, members was the opt out clause in two years. Like, wow. I, I mean, what a disaster. And you know, if it's, it's, you know, unfortunate for the four teams remaining, you have Stanford, which is regularly, I mean, you know, academically, we always, we know about Stanford, but they're regularly have the best athletic program in the country, you know, top to bottom, you know, when they win the, uh, what they call it like the director's cup or, or whatever it is, Cal, you know, great academic institution, um, you know, athletically, uh, eh. Um, and then, and then Oregon State and Washington State, and they're just kind of left twisting in the wind. And and yeah, I don't. I again, I, you know, just go around in circles and circles. But I, I just don't see how the Pac-12 dying is is a good thing. No, that's terrible. It's a, it's sad. I mean, this is the conference of champions. Like Bill Walton, has he spoken about this yet? He's got to be struggling right now. Probably. Like he he's got to be struggling right now. Do we get to claim him now in the Big Ten? Is that how this works? Like. You can blame a lot of people for this, Matt, but there's no way losing a a historic great conference like the Pac-12 is good for college sports. You know, it it sounds like Washington State and Oregon State might end up, you know, in the Mountain West. I know the ACC sniffing around at Cal Stanford right now. Um, So the league doesn't look like it's long and you could blame a lot of people for that. Like, I think Larry Scott, the former Pac-12 commissioner, made some mistakes when they were in a position from power from a TV deal standpoint. The Pac-12 network, I think the only place you can watch it is on like a fancy refrigerator. Mm -hmm. Uh, So like that was a mistake. Uh, George Kothkoff, the new Pac-12 commissioner, has obviously dropped the ball with the TV deal, although I don't think he was put in a very advantageous position. So you can blame a lot of people. You can call the Big Ten bullies, as I know some of our colleagues have. So, you know, I think there's a lot of blame to go around here, but 
the Big 12 and the Big 10 combining to kill another Power 5 conference is terrible. And they're obviously just going to have to re- rethink everything here because the automatic bid situation that they had coming uh, in the cultural playoff, that's not going to fly anymore because you basically have, what, three and a half conferences right now? We'll see what happens with the ACC. Um, it's just sad. You know, as, as someone who loves college sports, as someone who's uh, just lives and breathes for this stuff, um, I hate to see it come to a point where – We've basically thrown regional rivalries out the window. We've thrown regional footprints out the window because it's part of what made college football, college football and not the NFL. It, it, we love the regional, the different styles that were played throughout the country, the, the trash talking in different regions. And it's all just going away in the name of the dollar. And I guess we can talk about a lot of different reasons why the dollar has become more and more, you know, I, I tend to blame like the arms race that's going on in some of these college campuses. I mean, it's going on in Michigan state right now, building a new football building, increasing facilities they just showed off their fancy new locker room because that's what you have to do to compete but like these schools are just pouring millions of dollars into these massive state-of-the-art facilities and what does that do it increases bills it increases debt it increases the need to go get bigger tv contracts and make decisions based on money i just think we've lost control of what makes college sports great and if we keep watering it down you're gonna chase people away i don't care what anyone says yeah, I mean, there's there obviously be, be, be people that are um, put off by this and, and are not going to like the direction this is going. That's clear. But there's no – you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Uh, you know, this is – we knew this was coming again. It was just, you know, some of these things happen a little quicker than, than anticipated. And, you know, with the Pac-12 – Falling apart, the Big Ten struck, and there you have it. So, real quick before we get into Michigan State's positions, does this help or hurt Michigan State? I mean, what? How do they fall in on this? I don't know how. I don't know how it helps. I mean, I don't know how it really helps anybody. Money um, helps them with money, maybe. It's tougher. To, it'll be tougher to win. So, um, we'll see how they how they handle the eighteen teams, what what kind of format they put together. But I, I don't see how adding Washington and Oregon makes it makes Michigan State's path to you know, a big 10 title easier. So you're going to go like three years without playing a team in your conference. Like, yeah, is that how this is going to go? Like, I just, it's going to be, it's going to be weird. Overall, not a positive development in my opinion. Yeah. If they're still playing college football on Saturdays, I'm going to be watching and I'm sure it'll be fine. Like when we're in the heat of a college football Saturday and games are being played, I'm sure it will be fine. But right now, it's hard not to be a little pessimistic or down about it. And I don't blame anyone who's upset about this because it's just, it's not the college football or the college sports we've known forever. And there's going to be a lot of questions that have to be answered, especially with those Olympic non-revenue sports, Matt. I, I mean, those four Pac-12 schools that are left over, I mean, they might have to cut sports. They're just, their budget just got slashed in half almost, you know? So like, not a Michigan State issue, but it's just, I hate it, man. I hate it. So I had to take a few seconds there and get that off my chest. But let's just talk about football because I'm so sick of talking about stuff that isn't actually football. Like we're three weeks out from the dang season and nobody's talking about actual football. So let's let's do that. We're going to run down position previews here uh, through fall camp. We've, we've obviously talked about a lot of these guys uh, on previous episodes, but kind of narrowing the focus, put the microscope on these guys. Let's start with the most important position, the position that Mel's been asked about 20 times already. Uh, I'm sure more than that. I'm sure the starting quarterback, 
Uh, Three-man competition, according to Mel Tucker, Noah Kim, Kettenhauser, and Sam Levitt, all involved in this. Uh, so let's look at Noah Kim first, Matt, because for my money, he looks like the, the favorite to start. Looks that way in practice, at least the videos I see. Looked that way in the spring game. You know, kind of a lanky kid, 6'2", 185, uh, from Centerville, Virginia. Kid is a true winner in high school. You know, I just uh, 41 and two record as a starter, went to three straight uh, state championships in Virginia. So uh, the kid knows how to win. I think he's a good leader by all accounts. And he flashed well in uh, limited action last year. You know, played in four games, mostly in mop up duty, uh, Ohio State, Minnesota, Akron, Western Michigan. Um, let's see, four. 14 of 19, 174 yards and three touchdowns. Um, but I think he looked pretty poised in the in the limited action, albeit against backup. So uh, when you talk about Noel Kim, what is it that you like about him? What is it that Michigan State likes about him? And do you see him as the leader in the clubhouse to start week one? Yeah, I, I would say right now, if you had to put money on it, I would I would go with him being the starter. You know, if for no other reason, if 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 him and, and Hauser are, are fairly even, he has the edge in, in experience. You know, he's been with the program since – he was he was the last uh, quarterback Mark D'Antonio signed, and he so he's been there since day one with with Mel and Jay Johnson. Um, I, I don't you like his poise, his demeanor. They, you know, you saw that last year the shoot the opener against uh, Western when when Peyton took that shot and had to come out for a play. You you put Kim in and they threw first college stab. <laughs> Everybody's thinking. I know we've probably talked about this before. Everybody's thinking, oh, they're going to run the ball, and he takes a shot at the end zone, and I'll get a PI call. You know, go trying to go for Reed. So you like to see that. And again, when you, and then, you know, albeit in fairly low pressure situations, um, you know, he performs. So uh, he's got really good arm talent. They, they rave about that. Mel called him one of the 20 fastest players on the team. Um, Noah, was, Noah wasn't sure if, that, if that's the case or where he, he, he ranks, but um, obviously he's, he's mobile. Leadership part he's been working on and he's you know he's had to be patient nowadays obviously you know there's only one quarterback who's going to play you know to to wait your turn this is year four for him you know requires some some patience and you know may after Peyton left you know he just sent out a text to some of the receivers like he, he you know he was back home in virginia he's like hey if you guys aren't doing anything why don't you just come on down to my house so it was trey mosley christian fitzpatrick and montori foster so they hopped in a car Put the gas money, drove down to his house, and they were working on the field. And it was more of a he Noah said he thought it was more of a team, you know, a bonding thing. You know, they went and checked out DC. His dad made some good food, but I, you know, that's the kind of thing you like to see out of a quarterback. Um, so yeah, again, you know, I, if I had to put money on it, I would have have Noah starting uh, week one. I would agree. He just seems like the guy who's been in the system. You know, obviously originally committed to Virginia Tech, decommitted, came back. But you mentioned the dual threat ability. He just. He just seems like the leader in the clubhouse to me. He's got a sick arm sleeve too on on the, with the tats there. So, have you ever gotten a close up look at those? He's got some good ones on there. Or, uh, I was they look it looks looks pretty dope. Yeah, yeah. I've never really taken a picture of it or anything, but uh, you know, you, you can zoom in on the photos if you'd like. But uh, yeah, nice kid. Uh, you know, he's uh, he he just seems really poised, and you know that. You know, he's had to watch what, what Peyton went through. You know, he saw the, you know, really good season in 21, saw the struggles last year. So he, he's learned from from him. And, yeah, I just, uh, you know, I, we'll see, you know, what it looks like, you know, when he's got a full if, – if he does win the job, what it looks like when, when you're the actual starter and, and playing a significant number of reps. Because the experience thing 
I mean, he still only has 38 snaps uh, of college football under his belt. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll see. But um, Mel and Jay Johnson like where they're at with uh, with uh, those two. And then obviously Sam being the uh, true freshman. Yeah. Caden Hauser, probably the other guy who's really in this competition, second year in the program. 6'3", 213, California kid from a great program at St. John Bosco. He was a four-star kid who really shot up after the Elite 11s last year. You know, him and Sam Levitt, both kind of late risers that Jay Johnson identified pretty early on and flipped them from different schools. Uh, Played in just, you know, completed one of two passes for two yards and ran for 13 yards against Akron last year. So really just dipping his toe into the water there at Spartan Stadium. Um, But he's a kid who's very athletic. Uh, His accuracy kind of is what stands out to me with him. He he can make a lot of good throws and obviously has that dual threat ability as well and more size than Noel Kim. Um, Just experience probably the big thing with him yeah you know in unique situation you know being you know where he played a you know national powerhouse program you know he was splitting <laughs> splitting reps with uh, another uh talented quarterback who was a class behind him i believe he ended up at louisville either way um you know playing for a big time program in, in high school helped prepare him uh, he came in as an early enrollee so he had that extra time um, and, you, you know, he got on the field last year. You know, it was only six snaps against uh, Akron, I think. So, <clears throat> excuse me, not not a lot of experience, but he was the first uh, true freshman quarterback to play for Michigan State since Nick Foles in 2007. So it doesn't happen very often, but he likes where he's at in the competition. He feels comfortable. We talked to him the other day and, um, you know, he said he thinks he's in prime position to, to take over the job, but. You know, he, he said, even if he doesn't, even if he's not the starter day one, you know, he's, his job is to stay ready to play. So he seems like he's got the, you know, the right outlook for this competition. He, he said him and Noah are, are good friends. So they're, you know, they've approached it in a way that they don't, this is what they say. We'll see, you know, what actually happens. I don't know. But, um, you know, they say they're not treating it like a competition. They're just trying to beat their defense in, in practice. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's what they have 25 practices between when they started fall camp last week till um, the season opener. So that's plenty of time to, to get a look at what they've got. They'll get scrimmages in. I think their first scrimmage will be this Saturday. So wish we could see that, but uh, <laughs> we'll have to settle for what they tell us in the uh, clip or two, a couple of clips that they put out on uh, social media. Pierce Clarkson, I think is the the QB you're thinking about St. John Bosco who played with. Uh... Yep played with them. Yeah, he's at Louisville. You were right on that. And then Sam Levitt, another four-star kid, just getting there really in the summer. Mel said it's a three-man race. I would be, I think we said last pod, we'd be pretty shocked if he was the starter in week one. But this is a kid with a lot of ability as well. Number one player in Oregon. I guess Michigan State was like, okay, Oregon, if you're going to come take uh, Dante Moore, I mean, he's at UCLA now, but at the time, you're going to come take our number one player. We'll come take the number one player in Oregon. Um, You know, flipped him pretty late in the process from Washington State. Um, Big arm on this kid. I mean, maybe you've seen it in practice, maybe not. But I, I, I've heard from scouts and people who analyze freshmen that uh, might throw the best deep ball in the entire class with Sam Levitt. So if you got more like the finesse accuracy with Caden Hauser, I think Sam Levitt can really bomb it deep, throw the ball deep. Uh, another guy who won a lot in, in, in high school and was the Oregon Gatorade Player of the Year. So, I mean, if nothing else, Matt, there's way more talent in this QB room than I would say there has been in a long time overall. Yeah, you know, they, they like obviously what they got from him. Um, very athletic kid, you know, played basketball as well, a dual threat. I mean, he uh, 
Jeez. If you saw the clips, you know, he's a, he's a very, you know, talented guy. Um, football family. His dad played at BYU. His brother, he has a brother who's in the NFL, another brother that played in college football. Um, so the you like the bloodline. I think, one, you don't expect a true freshman to come in and win the job, typically. Um, there are some exceptions to the rule, obviously, as you've seen. But for him, I, I just, you know, I – I don't see it because he, you know, one, if, if he was to win the starting job, that would tell you, wow, they really like what they got in him. And two, how the hell did this kid just come in here and a, and a month later become the best uh, quarterback you've got? So the fact that he wasn't an early enrollee, he, you know, this is his you know, first time going through the system, whereas, you know, it's year four for Noah. Caton, you know, he went through as an early enrollee, he went through the, you know, install that spring, you know, came back last fall, installed this spring, you know, so it just, I, they like what they got. And, and Mel said it's his goal to, you know, during the recruiting process, he was clear that he wanted to try and he wanted to play as a true freshman. So would it be a shock to see him get on the field this year at some point in time? No, because he's going to instantly be third on the depth chart, I imagine, you know, you know, the only other, well, the third scholarship quarterback, but I, I just have a hard time seeing him play uh, meaningful snaps. Yeah, but looks like a kid with some real upside. It could be an option in the future here. So, uh, oh yeah, you know, four-star quarterbacks landing at Michigan State—that's that's a good sign for for the offense. Andrew Shorefar is the the redshirt junior walk-on that you're uh, referring to there. The kid from De- Dewitt, probably more of a scout team guy. So, uh, there you go. Those are the quarterbacks. Uh, a lot of talent there, I think, and just just a lot of inexperience, a lot of unknown with the position and a lot of these skill positions this year. So um, that's kind of the the snapshot of the look there. Let's move on to running back, Matt. Uh, this is, again, a position in flux somewhere where we don't really know what's going to happen. Uh, Jalen Berger, probably the the top returner there uh, when you're looking at, you know, Richard Jr. came from Wisconsin. Uh well, came from New Jersey by way of the University of Wisconsin, uh, 6'1", 215, led the Spartans in rushing last year, um, was a pretty highly thought of recruit coming out of New Jersey um, at Don Bosco, you know, fell out of favor there in Wisconsin. I would say had a had a okay season last year, but probably a little bit disappointing. You know, it started well against those two MAC teams, but the running game issues were just an issue all season for Michigan State. Um, and, and if you're looking at returning running backs, I mean, Jalen Berger is a guy that I think they would probably expect a better season from, uh, you know, and he probably expects a better season from himself, to be honest. I don't know if you talked to him, but. Yeah, we uh, we talked to uh, Jay Johnson yesterday, Ephraim Reed, the running backs coach, and then Jalen Berger, Jordan Simmons, Nathan Carter, and Jaron Mangum. So we got four, four running backs yesterday. Um, so, I mean, the, the overview is, Everybody knows last year's rushing performance was was not good. Uh, <laughs> it, it was even more glaring when you you know coming off the you know the Kenneth Walker year. But um, Ephraim Reed said you know that you know that can't happen again. Michigan, there's a standard of of running the ball at Michigan State, and they didn't live up to it. So they've they've got to fix that. Um, yeah, it just it's just a weird situation because this is the third straight year that Mel's brought in two transfer running backs. It's a, you know, the Kenneth Walker thing, you know, that's a once in a lifetime type of portal hit. Um, But they haven't been able to successfully recruit and develop at the position. They've been plugging the holes with these guys, you know, as they go, adding some, some mostly veterans. Um, And I, I mean, that's one way to go, but I, I would, 
I think they they need to start recruiting better and developing at the position. Um, but that's a different argument. Either way, uh, Berger had an okay season. Um, expect to be better, obviously. And then with uh, Drew Broussard and Elijah Collins gone, so I think it's I think I think Carter is a guy they've been talking a lot about. Um, you saw some of the flashes at UConn. He's got a little bit of explosiveness. Um, strong. Uh, he's impressed in the weight room, 600 pound squat. Uh, he, he think, looks like he's a guy that can challenge that will challenge Berger for the, uh, starting job as the every down back. And then after that, it'd be kind of, and this was talked about Ephraim talked about yesterday that guys have to, everybody know, everybody want, he, you know, he was a running back. He said, of course you want the ball 30 times a game, but you know, that's just, you know, guys are going to have to accept their roles, whether that's just being, you know, a third down back or a pass pro, you know, whatever the case may be. So I, I don't know, just me looking at it, I would say Carter and, and Berger are guys that you you like that will challenge for that number one spot. And then after that, it's kind of, you know, filling out roles like Jaron Magum. He's, you know, he's up to 235. So, you know, he's a big, he, he, can, he can, he should be able to move uh, some people with that. Um, but, you know, he's got what, 23 career touchdowns. So, He's a guy you'd you'd think would fit um, well in the short yardage situations, and then after that, you know, it's kind of murky. You know, but we, we haven't seen you know Jordan Simmons led the team in rushing as a true freshman in the crazy COVID year. Got you know was relegated to obviously a backup behind uh, Kenneth in, in 2021, and then he only had four carries last year. So credit to him for sticking through because I know I'm shocked. He's still on this team shocked, you know, and we, he talked about it. He's like, I you know I like this. I like it here. This is my, I like the school. I like everything about it. You know, he, he bought into a role being a special teams contributor and he's just start trying to get on the work on trying to continue to work to get on the field more on offense. So obviously the, the right kind of attitude you want to see out of a, out of a kid. And, and then now you have Jalen Barberin, uh, the true freshman who's come in and he's like a 10-2 <laughs> guy. So the speed is there. Um, Ephraim said he thinks he is immediately one of, if not the fastest players in the Big Ten. So it's just a matter of reining that speed in because he needs to show that patience, you know, to hit the hole. But, uh, he, you know, I, I would be interested to see what kind of if, you know, you work out some some gadget plays to get him in as a, as a true freshman and, you know, get that speed in space and, and see what he can do. Uh, Davion Prim's the other running back. He's now in a third year, but, uh, you know, he bounced around. He was <clears> – <throat> they moved him to corner last year at the start of fall camp. He returned to running back during the year. He, he has zero career carries, so um, can't really say what they got there because we haven't we haven't seen it. But I, I think the outlook is Carter or Berger, number one, and then kind of filling roles after that. That's just at least my guess. Are you suggesting that they run some jet sweeps with Jalen Barber and Matt? Is that what you're? Is that what you're suggesting there? Uh. <laughs> uh, short, short side of the field jet sweeps. Everybody <laughs> at Michigan State loves those things. Uh, but but Nathan Carter, man, I mean, 983 yards on 190 carries. That's a 5.2 average. If you're doing that at UConn, that's pretty impressive. I mean. <laughs> UConn is far from an elite football program. I think that's putting it delicately. So, I mean, they didn't even play in 2020 with COVID. They're just like, yeah, this isn't worth it. So we're not doing this. Um, but so to have some success at UConn, I know that, you know, their their new coach there is, I think they made a bowl last year. So maybe some improvement coming, but 
yeah, Carter, weight room hero. The pictures are all over the internet. People are going crazy with that. Uh, squatting 600 pounds, you mentioned. So, But you can have that kind of success at UConn. It gives me some faith that maybe he can improve on that uh, and maybe even break out at Michigan State. But yeah, I would agree with the way that you sort of um, laid it out there. Are you looking forward to both Mangums wearing number one? I mean, they, at least they won't be on the field at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean... Normally, I'd say that that'd be a problem um, from my perspective, but their body types are, uh, if I'm, you know, even from eight floors up or whatever uh, with binoculars, if I'm confusing uh, Jaron and Jaden, that's doesn't say a lot for me. They're uh, Jaden's a, a lot of lankier, taller. Uh, so, yeah, I they still every keep getting asked about this every time, but um <laughs> Yesterday, uh, Jaron said they still haven't met in the hole in practice, you know, brother versus brother. And but uh, it's going to happen sooner or later. See, he said, he, you know, he loves his little brother, but he's not going to back down. Yeah, Jaron Mangum is kind of the forgotten guy, I think, when people talk about this backup running back room. You know, he led UCF in rushing in 2021, 671 yards, uh, another kind of bad team to play on. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if if these guys with maybe big 10 blocking, if they can maybe break out a little bit now, we're not expecting Kenneth Walker. And I think you even said that Ephraim Reed said, these guys got to stop trying to be Kenneth Walker and just make plays and hit the hole and, and just have a competent running game instead of trying to be a game breaker all the time. But uh, maybe you can just kind of close on, on sort of that thought and we'll get out of here. Yeah. I mean, uh, that was, I mean, last year, the, the lack of production, just regular, and then the lack of explosive plays without Walker was was glaring, you know. Obviously, didn't help that, you know, they're trailing by double digits in, in games early and forced to throw. But either way, they need the running game to be better. And, and yeah, Ephraim said, these guys got to stop trying to, to hit the home run every play. Um, be themselves, you know, what, what, what do you bring to the table? And so we'll see what that looks like, but I, I think there's a good varying degree of skill sets in the room. When you look at it, Burger City's up to 213 now. So he added about seven, eight pounds since the spring. So, you know, you know, he's good size. Carter's a little, a little more of a slasher, I think. And then uh, with, with a big body, like Jaron, uh, they, they, they have different guys. And if they can fit, them into the certain you know get what they need out of their roles yeah i guess you would expect an improvement in the run game i mean it was pretty pretty poor last year so uh they they obviously can't have a repeat of that especially uh breaking in a new starting quarterback because you know you got to take a little bit of pressure off these guys whether it's kim or or Caton. And as we know from covering the team, and we've said many times on this podcast, Michigan State is good when they have a good running game. So uh, all you got to do is look back at history at that for the evidence there. But uh, that's our preview of the quarterbacks and running backs. We'll get into other positions further down the line here in August. That's going to do it for today's episode of MLive Spartan Confidential Podcast. Appreciate everyone for listening. Watch out online for more videos of, uh, you know, uh, fall camp and we'll be getting closer and closer to the season and that opener on Friday night against Central Michigan but that's going to do it so for Matt Wenzel I'm Brandon Champion thank you once again for listening to M Live Spartan Confidential Podcast we'll talk to you next time and go green